Okay, in today's podcast, we're talking about forerunners. The most significant messages delivered to mankind are those proclaiming the coming to earth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout the ages, prophets have spoken of two such advents, one in the meridian meridian of time, when Jesus would take upon himself mortality and fulfill the requirements of atonement, the other, his glorious second coming, which will usher in his millennial reign. For each advent, a forerunner was chosen to prepare the way. In all fairness, a just and ample opportunity was planned for mankind to prepare for these great events. The people must be warned of the impending fulfillment of prophecy. For if they would humbly believe the warning, they would be given some understanding of the significance of what was soon to take place. That's from Marky Peterson uh, in a book that he wrote called The Forerunners. And, um, you know, Marky Peterson isn't the only one to deeply explore the idea of forerunners. Uh, James Talmadge, in his book Jesus the Christ, wrote much about John the Baptist. He said, The people of Judea were greatly aroused over the strange preaching of a man theretofore unknown. He was of priestly descent, but untrained in the schools. And without authorization of the rabbis or license from the chief priests, he proclaimed himself as one sent of God with a message to Israel. He appeared not in the synagogues nor within the temple courts where scribes and doctors taught, but cried aloud in the wilderness. The man was John, son of Zacharias, soon to be known as the Baptist. He had spent many years in the desert, apart from the abodes of men, years of preparation for his particular mission. He had been a student under the tutelage of divine teachers, and there, in the wilderness of Judea, the word of the Lord reached him. As in similar environment, it had reached Moses and Elijah of old. Then was heard the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight." It was the voice of the herald, the messenger who, as the prophets had said, should go before the Lord to prepare his way. Uh, Talmadge continues, Though many of his hearers attached themselves to him as disciples, he established no formal organization, nor did he attempt to form a cult. Himself he would not exalt. His office, however, was sacred to him, and with its functions he brooked no interference from priest, Levite, or rabbi. He was no respecter of persons, sin he denounced, sinners he um, exoriated, whether in priestly vestments, peasant garb, or royal robes. All the claims the Baptist had made for himself and his mission were later confirmed and vindicated by the specific testimony of Christ. John was the harbinger not alone of the kingdom, but of the king, and to him the king in person came. The people generally were greatly concerned over the identity of John. And as the real import of the voice dawned upon them, their concern deepened into fear. The ever-recurring question was, who is this new prophet? Then the Jews, by which expression we may understand the rulers of the people, sent a delegation of priests and Levites of the, um, the Pharisee party to personally question him. He answered without evasion, I am not the Christ and with equal decisiveness denied that he was Elias, or more accurately, Elijah. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? 
that we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. The Pharisee envoy then demanded of him his authority for baptizing. In reply, he affirmed that the validity of his baptisms would be attested by one who even then was amongst them, though they knew him not, and averred, He it is, whose coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. So that is a great description of John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus' first coming in mortality. Well, the world has changed a lot. We're now in the year 2019, and we're looking for a forerunner just, uh, just like occurred in former times. But it's going to be a little bit different this time. There's now 7 billion people on the earth. Um, we have technology. And um, it's interesting to note that the very night that Moroni um, came and appeared to Joseph Smith, one of the first things he mentioned was this idea of a forerunner. Let's read here. Um, As the times of the Gentiles come to fruition, those who are righteous are commanded to flee unto Zion as a refuge from the abomination of desolation. Isaiah describes the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and its priesthood ordinances as an ensign to the nations. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 10 through 16, Isaiah says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The envy also of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. And there shall be an highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria like it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. Joseph Smith later revealed the symbolic meaning of the root of Jesse. In DNC 113, verse 5 and, six, it sa- 5 and 6, it says, What is the root of Jesse? Spoken of in the 10th verse of the 11th chapter of Isaiah. Behold, thus saith the Lord, it is a descendant of Jesse, as well as of Joseph, unto whom rightly belongs the priesthood and the keys of the kingdom for an ensign, and for the gathering of my people. Um, Jesse was the father of King David. So Joseph Smith is saying that this root of Jesse that's going to be an ensign to the nations, a forerunner to Christ's second coming, is going to be a dual descendant of the tribe of Judah as well as the tribe of Ephraim. The Apostle Paul remarked concerning the root of Jesse. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that um, shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. That's Romans chapter 15, verse 1. So through their joint membership in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint, the envy of Ephraim and Judah has, in fact, departed. 
This partnership of Judah and Joseph has served an eternal purpose. Nevertheless, separation of the two tribes will once again occur prior to the coming of the Messiah. Wilford Woodruff prophesied, The gospel is now restored to us Gentiles, for we are all Gentiles in a national capacity, and it will continue with us if we are faithful until the law is bound and the testimony sealed and the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, when it will again revert to the Jews, whom the Lord will have prepared to receive it. They will gather to their own land, taking with them gold and silver, and will rebuild their city and temple, according to the predictions of Moses and the prophets. That quote from President Woodruff is from the Journal of Discourses, book 18, page 221. Woodruff continues, Let the Gentile nations who reject the gospel, which is now sent to them, prepare to meet the judgments of an offended God. For when their cup is full even to the brim, the Lord will then remember the chastisement of the Jews, his favored people, and at whose hands they will have received double for their iniquities. Offenses must come, and the Savior, but woe unto them by whom they come. Woe unto the Gentiles, who have administered afflictions to the Jews for these many years. There will be a highway to provide safe passage for remnant Judah's return to Jerusalem from the land of Ephraim. After describing the root of Jesse as a refuge for the Gentiles, Isaiah finishes chapter 11 by writing the following, And there shall be an highway for the remnant of his people, like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. Isaiah chapter 35 then says, The highway shall be called the way of holiness, The redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return. In the last days, the Lord will comfort Jerusalem and gather Israel. Isaiah 51 says, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, which has drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. There is none to guide her among all the sons whom she has brought forth. Neither is there any that taketh her by the hand, of all the sons that she hath brought forth. These two things, the prophets, are come unto thee. Who shall be sorry for thee? Desolation and destruction and the famine and the sword. By whom shall I comfort thee? Then Isaiah 52 says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The king shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. So as a trigger for the times of the Gentiles to be fulfilled, righteous saints belonging to the bloodline of Judah will depart from among the tribe of Ephraim um, so that Abraham's covenant might be fulfilled. Through the Abrahamic covenants ordained that Jacob's twelve sons would herald twelve tribes of Israel through which all nations of the earth might be blessed. The kingdom of God is organized according to this structure of Israel. It's how the Lord counts and blesses his sheep. So we know from scripture that it is expedient for Judah's remnant to be identified, gathered, and returned to Jerusalem via the highway that Isaiah saw. In Amos chapter 9, verse 11 through 15, it says, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, and close up the breaches thereof. 
and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old. And they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them, and I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. Third Nephi chapter 20 says, And I say unto you that if the Gentiles do not repent after the blessing which they shall receive, after they have scattered my people, then shall ye, who are a remnant of the house of Jacob, go forth among them. And ye shall be in the midst of them who shall be many. And ye shall be among them as a lion among the beasts of the forest, and as a young lion among the flocks of sheep, who if he goeth through both treadeth, both treadeth down and teareth in pieces, and none can deliver. Referencing the remnant of Judah as a lion is common throughout Scripture. Um, John, when he wrote the book of Revelation, referenced Jesus as a lion. Chapter 22, verse 16 says, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Jesus told John, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So knowing that Jesus is the Lion of Judah, it's obviously a huge honor for the remnant of Judah to be symbolically referenced as lions among the Gentiles. Christ is the offspring of David. He will be preceded in his second coming by forerunners of his same bloodline lineage. In ancient times, when Jacob first blessed Judah as one of his twelve sons, he described him like this. Judah is a lion's whelp. The word whelp means puppy. So Judah, as a young lion pup, will eventually be roused up by the wickedness of Gentile nations to fulfill its foreordained responsibility. Micah chapter 5 verse 8 and 15 says, And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many people as a lion, among the beasts of the forest, as a young lion among the flocks of sheep, who if he go through, both treadeth down and teareth in pieces, and none can deliver. Thine hand shall be lifted up upon thine adversaries, and all thine enemies shall be cut off. And I will execute vengeance in anger and fury upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. So, as Latter-day Saint remnant lions of Judah depart from the mountain Zion in Utah and go forth among the Gentiles, the residue will actually suffer plagues as dictated by the abomination of desolation. Lineage was mentioned by Joseph Smith as an essential element of Zion's restoration. In D&C 113, verse 7 and 8, it says, What is meant by the command in Isaiah 52, which saith, Put on thy strength, O Zion? And what people had Isaiah reference to? The answer is, he had reference to those whom God should call in the last days, who should hold the power of priesthood to bring again Zion and the redemption of Israel. And to put on her strength is to put on the authority of the priesthood, which she, Zion, has a right to by lineage, also to return to that power which she had lost. 
um, later on in section 113 of the Doctrine and Covenants, verse 9 and 10, it says, What are we to understand by Zion loosing herself from the bands of her neck? The answer, we are to understand that the scattered remnants are exhorted to return to the Lord from whence they have fallen, which if they do, the promise of the Lord is that he will speak to them or give them revelation. See the sixth, seventh, and eighth verses. The bands of her neck are the curses of God upon her or the remnants of Israel in their scattered condition among the Gentiles. So it is this group of Latter-day Saint lions that will return to Jerusalem in order to fulfill the Lord's promise as Ezekiel prophesied in Ezekiel 14, 22 and 23. Yet behold, therein shall be left a remnant that shall be brought forth, both sons and daughters. Behold, they shall come forth unto you, and ye shall see their way and their doings. And ye shall be comforted concerning the evil that I have brought upon Jerusalem, even concerning all that I have brought upon it. And they shall comfort you when ye see their ways and their doings. And ye shall know that I have not done without cause all that I have done in it, saith the Lord God. I'm not sure exactly how many active members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints there are. Uh, some speculate anywhere between 4 million and 5 million. Well, within the, the Mormon culture, it's easy um, to get hyper-focused on what's going on within that culture. But if you take a step back and have a bird's eye perspective, you realize that the members of the Church of Jesus of uh, Christ of Latter-day Saints are just a speck when compared to the broad population, when compared to the multitude of other religions among the 7 billion inhabitants of the earth. So in conclusion, I'd just like to say that it is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that is the root of Jesse. And as part of this forerunner message, it isn't from one individual like John the Baptist, but rather it's each one of us collectively. And what is the message that we're proclaiming? First and foremost, I think Ephraim has been the temple builders. Um, there are hundreds of temples dotting the globe that have been built by Ephraim. The purpose of those temples is to provide a holy place where men and women can make sacred covenants to bind themselves to the God of Israel. And through obedience to those covenants, um, the Lord will bless the tribes of Israel. So um, missionary work, all of the work of salvation. So that includes missionary work, preaching the gospel, and temple work are um, the priority of all of us who are of the root of Jesse, all of us who may be dual descendants of both Ephraim and Judah. And I know that in most patriarchal blessings among the Church of Jesus Christ, members of the Church of Jesus Christ, uh, they do declare lineage, and most have been declared Ephraim, and that is accurate. But there will be a time when the revelations will also reveal that many who are of Ephraim are dual descendants, 
Ephraim and Judah. If you follow the um, the movements of the tribe of Judah after Jesus' death and resurrection, you'll find that because of persecution, they had to depart from Jerusalem. And through uh, the help of Jesus' secret disciple, Joseph of Arimathea, he, provides, he provided safe passage for many of these Judean refugees into Europe and the North Countries. Well, the scriptures talk a lot about the North Countries as a haven for Judah's remnant. I'll talk about that in a separate podcast. Um, but to kind of finish off that thought, it's no coincidence that one of the first acts Joseph Smith did um, as prophet of the Lord's New Church when it was established in 1830 was he sent missionaries to go to the north countries of Europe. And the missionaries found all of these people who had been prepared to receive the Lord's gospel. Um, And so if your lineage happens to flow through these north countries, there's a good chance that you are a dual descendant of both Ephraim and Judah and that you fall into this category of prophecy about the root um, of Jesse. So it's a responsibility we don't take lightly. Um, it's These are the people that are called. These are the elect who are going to establish Zion in the last days. And it's an exciting thing to be a part of.